Good morning. It's nice to see you. Um, and uh, oh, hello. It's a Brucey moment there. Very good. Um, uh, yes, this is. I can't, don't know. I've lost count. Is this part four? Part five? Um, four. For those of you making notes, um, I'm working hard for you. Um, we, we, we've wanted to. Um, uh, navigate our way through. If this is your first morning with us, then you are joining us on um, this part. But don't worry if you've missed previous parts, because this morning can kind of stand alone and make some sense. Um, we've been looking at the whole area of men and women and marriage and church leadership. So um, we're going to carry on with that this morning. And um, I've brought a load of books with me, um, just to prove to you that I've been working hard. So... Um, <laughs> We'll start off by, I'm just going to scare you a little bit, maybe, just with, um, is that all right on there? Um, some of you love to read around subjects, some of you don't. Um, and so it's kind of helpful that I just recommend a few books to you to, to read if you want to. You don't have to. Um, if podcasts are more your bag, then I'm sure there's podcasts as well that we can recommend. Um, and uh, if actually you're not interested, then that's fine too. So please don't feel under pressure. Um, but I just thought it would be helpful if I just shared with you a couple of books that I've been reading um, that have helped me in this journey. Um, I know numbers of you will have read these books too, or some of these books. And so they're kind of helpful just as we're thinking things through to make sure that actually we're thinking things through in a healthy way, in a grounded way, that we're not just wandering off in our own direction, making stuff up, uh, which wouldn't be helpful at all. So um, uh, there is this book here, Unwrapping Lazarus. This is Pete Carter's book, our friend Pete, who's from Eastgate in Kent. Um, this is not strictly about those issues, but there is some really good chapters in there on authority. So if you want to, um, I mean, read his book anyway, it'll be a blessing, but there's some good stuff there on authority. Um, this one is a provoking title, How I Changed My Mind About Women in Leadership. Um, there you go. Um, it's, um, there are lots of contributors to this, names that you'll recognise, so Stuart and Jill Briscoe, Tony Campolo, Bill and Lynn Hybels, um, John and Nancy Altberg, um, to name quite a few, and the forward is by Dallas Willard, who's quite a heavyweight in his own right anyway, so um, that's that one. Um, it's quite a... In terms of reading, this one's a bit lighter because it's a bit more um, their stories of what, what their journeys have been on this issue. Obviously, some really seasoned leaders in there that have led um, not only churches but networks and movements as well. So um, it's a good one to read and, um, and enjoy. Um, this one is, I've recommended this one before, which is called Neither Complementarian Nor Egalitarian, which is basically an attempt to move us away from polarized views because one of the things that some of the theologians and the academics have done in their efforts to bring clarity around stuff is actually bring us to a place of polarization which who knows if we're in the body of Christ and we're all supposed to be one as brothers and sisters it's not great when you're polarized because the only thing you can do is separate and divide and that's never God's heart 
Um, so there needs to be a way that we can come together around the same table, even though we may have different views. And so um, this author bravely tries to help us do that, which I think is great. Um, and as a read, it's, it's, well, it's not as thick as some of the others, um, and, uh, um, and it, it at least helps. It, it dips into some of the chunky stuff, but also it goes at a pace that actually you don't just lose the will to live as you go. Um, <laughs> Uh, this one is Chris Vallotton's book, Fashion to Rain, which came out a few years ago. Uh, Chris from Bethel. Um, this is a, an easier read as well. Um, he navigates through some of the key verses as well as drawing on stuff from scripture and also um, modern examples as well. Um, and he really just does a great thing of exalting women, lifting women up um, to um, stand alongside men. Um, so uh, that's Chris's book. And I, know, I, I don't know how we'd access it, but I know he did a whole bunch of teaching when this came out, didn't he? So I, I don't know if that is available on Bethel's website or whatever, but I'd, I'd kind of be interested if we could find that. If any of you guys have got that as a set of messages, um, then um, it would be um, helpful to pass those around. Because sometimes, like I said, you might just prefer listening to stuff rather than reading stuff, studying stuff. So, um, But anyway, his book is great. Um, actually, um, his friend Danny Silk also did a book around the same time, which is also on this issue called um, Breaking the Glass Ceiling, is that right? Powerful and Free, and then I think there's a subtitle of Breaking the Glass Ceiling. Um, but it's, it's um, So Powerful and Free was Danny's book. Um, just to plug as well, we have managed to get Danny and Sherry Silk coming to um, Essex in July next year. So um, again, with our relationships with the other Essex churches, um, we're, we're being able to create a bit of a, a place for some of these guys to come into. So, um, so there you go. Um, lastly, there's these two books. So um, there's, there's this one, the blue one, and there's this one, the pinky orange one. And basically this is um, uh, Wayne Grudem and John Piper's book. This came out in the 90s called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, there is some really good stuff in here, and there's some stuff that I don't really agree with. Um, and these guys don't really agree with it either, which is why Gordon Fee and his team produced uh, essentially a response to this one. Um, and um, as you can see, they're fairly chunky. Um, I spent most of my summer holiday working my way through them, and um, uh, which, you know, I thought the best way to tackle this was round a swimming pool, <laughs> where if you just get bored or nod off, you can either get splashed by one of your children um, or just cool down and go for a swim and, you know, and not worry too much. Um, but really, there's, it's hel- I found it really helpful actually to read stuff that I don't agree with because it helps me think through then what do I agree with and why do I agree with it rather than just only reading the stuff that I already agree with, which, okay, it tickles my ears and it makes me grow confidence in one sense, but it doesn't equip me to actually put a counter-argument forward, which is kind of helpful if, if that's your job. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and also, if actually you, you want to know that you are standing on a, a firm foundation. So, um, so there you go. I will leave these at the front. If you want to have a look, you can do. I'm not going to do that thing that some guys do of going, who wants them? Because uh, I need them. Um, but um, actually, it might be fun just to get some copies to give out. Um, so uh, there you go. Um, 
I wonder if we could just, um, Ben, if you could put that first chunk of scripture up. Um, we're going to do some work this morning. We're going to go through some loads of bits of the Bible. Um, we're going to do it at quite a good pace so that A, you don't um, get bored, and also B, so that we actually vaguely stick to some time. Um, if someone's around with a clock at some stage, that would be good. Perhaps let me know when we hit um, 10 past 12 um, so that I can somehow put us in for a bit of a landing because um, you don't just want to drop out of the sky on a, on a big thought, do you? And um, so uh, that would be helpful. Um, last time we looked at the subject of headship. Um, do you remember that, if you were, um, last time I spoke? Um, and uh, we were looking at, um, so specifically marriage, we've done some weeks looking at men and women and that kind of jazz, and then we got through to looking at um, marriage and headship. This morning, I kind of want to finish the marriage bit off, tackle some scriptures um, that we didn't look at last time, um, and then next time we'll get into some church leadership stuff, um, men and women in church leadership. Um, so uh, last time we looked at Ephesians 5 in the main. We, we looked at a few things. We looked at um, what God says about marriage in Genesis 2, and then we looked at what Jesus says about marriage in Matthew 19, and then we looked at what Paul says about marriage in Ephesians 5, because those three, are, um, they link together, they reference one another, um, back to what God said. So it's a helpful way of going, what's God's blueprint you know, before we uh, get into other things, what was he say? And um, so that's why we, we looked at those things. Um, this morning we're going to look a little bit at submission. Is that all right? Um, so, um, uh, now I thought what I'd do if... Um, I just wanted to get these verses up. I've asked Ben to put them up because sometimes what I've noticed is, and Leo and I were talking about this, um, is we... We know the Bible from sometimes sound bites. Like you remember a verse or you remember a part of a verse and we can therefore think that we know the Bible and we can build thought process in our head based on individual sections or words or you know sentences. Um, and I just thought it'd be helpful just to recap a little bit um, this Ephesians 5 passage. But I just wanted to back up a little bit because Paul wrote it as a letter um, rather than with the intention that we just pull it apart bit by bit by bit, which is what we tend to end up doing. Um, so I wanted to just read through a section of this together and... Um, uh, well, not necessarily together. I, I can read it to you if you like. Um, uh, I'm not expecting it to be um, like a memory verse game or anything like that where we cover it up in a minute. Um, but uh, let me just read this. So um, he starts off, so we, we'll get down to the bits of marriage in a moment, but essentially his sentence, his, his kind of section bit starts more like here than it does later on. Um, so look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submitting to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its saviour. 
Um, now to the church, she, um, now as to the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, the water, uh, of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you know what's interesting in this, this passage is if we're not careful, we break it up and we just highlight um, wives submit to your husbands. And our eyes fall to that point. And often our Bibles, this version is actually more helpful, but often in our Bibles you'll see um, that there is headlines that have been inserted that are not in the original Greek, but commentators have put those in, translators have put those in to break up the passages um, and to, because they think that we want a heading in there. And sometimes where they break that up is not necessarily very helpful for the consistency of the letter. And so actually the, where that passage starts is the encouragement to be filled with the Spirit. So there's this, this desire that we're full of the Spirit. And uh, actually, if you can just back up, Ben. Um, just go back to the top of those. So um, uh, he, uh, next one. Um, okay, do not be drunk on wine, but of those absorptory, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, and then there is this lovely flow of, of how we are with one another, full of the Spirit. So actually what should just flow out of us as a group of people together is this sense of addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything. There's, there should be this song to our lives as we are together. And uh, I'm not suggesting that we all need to break out into a musical. Um, uh, you know, when you watch musicals, I, I'm not a big fan of musicals. Leo likes a musical. I, I, I don't know. I'm not that much of a fan. Except this seems to be suggesting, you know what? In Jesus, you should be awash with songs. You should just be flowing in the melodies of heaven that tumble out of your life. And so actually the way that you live together, the way you relate to one another, should be to draw one another into those songs and into those melodies and into that richness of life. Seeing people set free from you know, darkness, seeing people brought through to fullness of what it is to be in the kingdom. And so that's what he's going for. And then he talks about actually, and give thanks always. That actually thanksgiving should be this thing that is, is always amongst us. You know, I love the way that Jules kicked us off this morning in our worship because actually Actually, she was drawing us to give thanks, regardless of where our heads are at, what's been going on for you this morning, whether you ran out of cereal or not. You know, we, you, she's drawing us to, hey, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And she pulled us up, didn't she? And so then as we went into worship, we made Joe's life and the band's life easier because we just wanted to worship. And it makes such a difference. And that's what he's talking about in these passages. So then he goes on to the next bit and he says, now submit to one another. So Listen to everybody else's songs. 
like allow each other to shape each other there's an iron sharpening iron thing that needs to go on in the body of Christ and this has got nothing to do with men or women this is all of us together this is all of us brought as one body together and uh, and then he then he says right now specifically you guys in marriage you there's a, another way that you submit to one another because that actually there's purpose in that of it revealing who God is and actually his it reveals the gospel you know, men, you get to lay your lives down like Christ did for the church through love, which reveals the gospel. So there's a specificness about that relationship, but it's in an overall context of this whole cacophony, this whole thing of what it is for us to be alive and full of the Spirit. Do you see? The other thing that's really interesting is that it says in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. Do you know what in the Greek... The word submit is not even there. It just says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I'm not dodging submission. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Okay, The submission is there, and the submission is also um, in reference to Christ. And um, where is it? Uh, um, uh, Where it talks about um, uh, the the church being in submission to Christ. But in verse 22 and in verse 24, now as to the, oh, there we go. So now as to the church, wives submit to Christ. That is there. So also wives should um, in everything to their husbands. It doesn't have an active verb at that point. But because our English language requires that we, it, it makes more sense that we put it in, the people that have translated it from original manuscripts into an English language have put that in. The problem is that that means that it doubles the, the, the emphasis on submission. Do you see? And, and then you add into that that actually everybody is affected by their culture. The guys, and we're going to look at culture in a minute, the guys who wrote the Bible were writing within a cultural context. And the guys translating the Bible, however many hundreds of years later, into different language, are affected by a cultural context. And then, let's go back to the King James, 400 years ago. There's a cultural context that existed at the time, do you see? And so there's a range of meaning on words that's used, which actually gets, that comes through at different points. And then we then come along and we read it now in our cultural context. So there's more implication. And so there's all these things going on. Um, the reason I wanted to pull it apart was just, just to kind of paint that picture of that backdrop of um, it's really healthy to look at the whole rather than just a small bit and place too much emphasis on one bit. Now, at the same time, the word submission is there. The word subject to is there. So we need to look at it and we need to understand what Paul meant by it. Um, the uh, let me just see where I want to go. Um, some of my conclusions from last time is that marriage is a loving partnership based on mutual submission. That said, there are roles for husband and wife. There is headship and there is submission. I understand that Paul defines headship as provision and servanthood in that God has given men the specific role of sacrificing self through servant leadership to safeguard the marriage and create a context for a stunning partnership which reveals Christ's relationship with the church.
Um, the reason why I'm saying that that's a men thing is because in Genesis 2, as we've said here, um, a man shall leave his father and mother. It's specific, the man leaves father and mother, joins with the wife to create this partnership, this unity, this oneness. And then a woman, her part is to come and actually cooperate with that, to come into that and go, yes, I'm all for that. And I'll give all of myself to this. So that actually there is a togetherness that is going on. And it is a mutual submission, because as much as there is a woman submitting, there is also a man, a man as Christ loves the church, actually giving himself up. So there is a giving up in that sense for, on both sides. Do you see? Um, uh, Chris Vallotton in his book, um, uh, Fashion Terrain, he defines headship as servanthood in motion. There's a visionary aspect to this. You know, I am sold out for creating the best marriage that I can possibly create with my wife. There's an intent about it. And guys, that has to be in our hearts. You know, you don't get married to somebody just because it's a casual thought of, meh, perhaps we could, it'd be all right. No, you, you see something ahead of you and you go, I'm going to create that. And actually, that is to create a context where my wife flourishes, where she comes into the fullness of she, who she is. Um, and... Uh, um, so I believe that husbands have an authority for their wives. They have an authority to create that context for them, um, to safeguard it, to protect it, to keep them safe, um, and um, to provide for it. Um, okay. Um, so in terms of um, submission... What did Paul mean by it? What does the word mean? Um, the actual word in the Greek is hypotasso. I don't speak Greek, but I can look stuff up. Um, and uh, it's, it says um, there's a range of, of definitions, but essentially it, on one extreme there is um, to place under. There is a sense of rank. There is a sense of submission. Um, so submitting one's self, who one is, and obeying. Um, and what was popular at the time was that there were that, that sliding scale, if you like, was used in different contexts. So on the one hand, there's a military context for that that was common. So the sense of in a military, there is a clear sense of rank. And you need that in order for an army to move forward and do what it does. Um, and uh, um, the Bible speaks about us being subject to governing authorities. Um, so we submit ourselves, don't we, to the law of our, in the land. Um, so there is that emphasis of the word. And, but then there is a non-military sense, which is kind of the other end of the scale, which is really talking um, about how we cooperate with one another. It's talking about... Um, uh, yeah, that mil non-military uh, essence of it. Um, so Paul wants to be really clear that we understand what he's talking about. So in verse 33, uh, if you want to just wind that forward, Ben. Um, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. 
So he wants us to understand the, what he's talking about. So he's kind of gone through. And actually, because Paul is Paul and he's so in love with Jesus, he just can't help but go on for those few verses before to paint this incredible picture of what it is to be in Christ. And then he kind of pulls himself back too because he says, well, well, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And he goes, right, husbands, love your wives. Wives, see that you respect your husbands. Do you see? Um, and uh, so... That is where he's going with this word submit. Now, there's other verses too um, that we're now going to look at. Um, But again, I think that, so for Paul's stuff, I think he echoes the same things in in the other place. Um, So if we want to get, do you want to get Colossians 3 up, please, Ben? Um, uh, This is another um, place in scripture, and people will argue that um, this means that there is, um, submission is authority over. Um, uh, so if we look at the whole bit, so the context here, um, we'll get down to, we're going to do exactly the same thing we did with the other one. Um, he says from verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. There is a mutuality about this that Paul is going for. Um, as to the Lord, um, as the Lord has forgiven you. Um, sorry, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He's calling us again to be a people who are full of love. It echoes the same stuff that he was going for in Ephesians. Uh, next bit. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Um, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Uh, knowing that the Lord will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. All right. He's doing the same thing. He's setting up big context is love, big context is one another, big context is therefore that, that same thing that he's going for in Ephesians 5, which is us submitting to one another. And then he gives a specific example to different groups. So he talks about wives, slaves, husbands, children. It was common at that day as well for um, not only Christian teaching to lay out a kind of a a code for households, but actually um, other religions, the pagan cult, the Roman um, paganism, did exactly the same thing. And so they would pick on the groups within that society. And so what Paul is doing is actually mirroring what would, would have been common in terms of teaching, but actually putting a Christian emphasis on it. Because there wouldn't have been an address, an instruction to husbands to say, hey, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Because society, we're going to look at the culture in a minute, but society was totally patriarchal. Men had in their household wives, children, slaves. 
in their household. And that was the context. So Paul actually is, on the one hand, he's um, following on with what the culture of the day is, but at the same time, he's actually pulling up to a higher standard. And actually for the guys, they get two, because they also get told um, not to, um, uh, not to um, discourage their children. So there's even something else there. It's like, guys, you've got to rethink some stuff. <laughs> um, does that make sense? So for me, looking at this passage, I don't see that this could possibly mean um, that Paul is then wanting to impose a divine hierarchy. I think he, the only point at which he is emphasizing a blueprint, if you like, is where he does that in Ephesians 5, where he is quoting back to um, what Jesus said and what was said in Genesis, um, which ultimately is not hierarchical. Hierarchical. Um, it's not an authority over. It's actually a specific role to create a unity and a oneness. Does that make sense? Yeah? Um, uh, I've been asked a question last time I preached, which I thought I'd um, I answered at the time, but I thought it'd be good to ask the question publicly. Um, in Because there's the parallel in Ephesians 5 between husbands and wives and Christ in the church, am I therefore saying that... Christ is not in authority over the church or over us as believers. Does that make sense? So is, is Christ in authority over us? If I'm saying that a husband is not in authority over his wife, um, is Jesus in authority over the church or over us as believers? Um, I thought very quickly, let me just read to you the Great Commission to answer the question. Um, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Okay. Does he have, um, does he have all authority? Yes, all authority has been given to him. Does he control us? No. It even says here that some people doubted. Um, and so, does he have an authority for us? I think Jesus came to demolish the works of the enemy and then to bring the kingdom to us, to give us access to the kingdom, to relationship with the Father. Um, so, um, no, I don't believe Jesus has authority over in that sense. I believe he is sovereign, but I don't believe that he has a controlling authority over us. Let me put it this way. Who here this afternoon is free to go and do something completely contrary to God's word? All of you. Are you going to get stopped if you decide to do that? No. So he hasn't got authority over us to control us, has he? Because that's not what love is. What love does is love creates a context where we get to flourish and then we then get to choose to follow him, to be with him or not. Anything else is, is a, an arranged marriage, isn't it? It's a, it's a context that is contrived. There isn't freedom. So there has to be freedom for us to respond to him and choose him. Um, and surely that's the point of the gospel, that he set us free. 
He came to set us free, and now we're free to choose. Um, okay, is that helpful? Um, right, what about some other passages? There's some other um, passages that are important, helpful. Um, we've looked at Ephesians 5, we've looked at Colossians 3. Um, there's, we're going to look at 1 Peter next, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7. Um, uh, there's verses in 1 Timothy and Titus as well. We're not going to look at those this morning, um, partly because um, there isn't time and also partly because I'm going to look at those in the context of leadership rather than in the context of marriage because that's what they're really talking about. Um, but to um, look at the 1 Peter stuff I think is important. I just want to very briefly run through the cultural context that these guys are writing in. Um, so um, you guys have got expectations for your lives, haven't you? Yeah, you have a healthy expectation, I hope, for your life. Otherwise, I guess you'd be hopeless um, and probably a bit miserable. Um, So I'm hoping there is some healthy expectation that you have of what's going to happen in your lives next year, over the next few years, um, maybe the next decade. Maybe there is a sense as well of an expectation in terms of legacy, of actually what you hope for the next generation, for your children, for your grandchildren. Um. And most of us would probably think that actually what we're looking for is full happy lives for ourselves, for our loved ones. I don't think that's an outrageous thing to hope for. Uh, Relationship with Jesus, financial stability, health, great relationships, dreams realized, talents discovered. Does that sound like the kind of stuff that you would love for yourself or your kids or your grandkids? Um, Equally, there's threats that we face today that can cause us to think, what kind of a world will our children grow up in and inherit? Isn't there? There's stuff that goes on. um, So, you know, things like oil reserves being used up, um, pollution, environmental disasters, terrorism, Brexit, um, interest rate rises, dun dun dun. and so they cause us to think about, oh man, what, what's going on? Um, New Testament writers, first century Greco-Roman world were exactly the same. They were in a cultural context. So there were things that were going on for them. Now first of all, they weren't writing. Paul and Peter and the other guys were not writing their letters because they thought they were writing the Bible. They were writing their letters because they were writing letters. There are... Um, principles, there is reason why God has pulled that lot together and enabled us to have it as the canon of scripture that we have. Um, But these guys were serving the people that they were with at the time. Um, So that was the first thing. Second thing is um, life at that point was pretty rough if you were a Christian. I mean, it was pretty rough regardless, but it was pretty rough if you were a Christian. Um, Persecution and the threat of it, it was constant and commonplace for Christians. Um, Christians were often viewed with suspicion and were believed to be dangerous. It's not like today. There's 50 churches, more than 50 churches in Chelmsford. It wasn't like that back in this time because Christianity was just getting going. (laughs) So actually, they were viewed with suspicion they were viewed as being um, revolutionaries because they were opposing, um, seemed to be opposing, um, the, the governing authority of the time, Rome, um, uh, certainly the pagan religion that was big. Um, so there was a danger that was 
um, that these guys were, were perceived to be. Um, so being Christians wasn't an easy thing. Um, but Christianity was massively on the rise. This was an explosion that was going on. So people were coming to faith all over the show. Um, and obviously that was having big consequences. Um, it was pretty rough in the sense of, of just facing not only persecution and suffering, but actually death. So following, and this is contemporary stuff for these guys. So they remember John the Baptist being beheaded. They remember the crucifixion. Okay, Jesus was resurrected, but they still are in a context where crucifixion was going on. Um, eight of the ten, eight of the twelve apostles were martyred in really nasty ways. Paul and Peter, who are writing to them, are writing in a context of knowing that it's highly likely that they would meet the same fate that Jesus did. Um, Paul wrote four of his letters from prison. Um, and uh, this is what Paul says about himself. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped more times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders have given me 39 lashes. That's a lot of lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. How did this guy survive? <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. There, you know, you get me. <laughs> um, Mild-mannered and, um, you know, I, I, I was in my nice warm bed last night and every night this week and in my nice home and with my lovely family and, you know, you've got this guy who's just trawled himself out of the sea, <laughs> you know, broken teeth, smashed up face. He comes in and he's still pouring out. He's saying, come on, come on, keep going for Jesus, keep going for Jesus. Never mind this, never mind that. We're, we're living for Jesus. That's the context that he's in. Um, uh, another thing was um, the emperor of the day, um, as years went on, was a guy called Nero. Um, Nero was a nutcase. Like you might have heard some stories about Nero. Think like Hitler, same spirit, frankly. Um, Nero liked to gather Christians together and throw them into the Colosseum and feed them to the lions for sport. Um, he also liked to get Christians and tie them up and put them in his garden and wait till night time and then just light them as garden lights alive. So this is the context that these guys are living in. It's crazy. Um, another thing is that they believed that Jesus was coming back really soon, like within their lifetimes. So they were living with this sense of look this is urgent when he says the days are evil it's like there's not much time there is not much time he came in our lifetime he's coming back probably in our lifetime um so he talks at one stage he talks about marriage um from the perspective of look he says look if you're single be single if you're married be married don't muck about too much at this time thinking about all this other stuff there is a job to do and actually evangelism was their number one goal, was their number one priority. How do we get as many people through to the truth of the gospel as possible? Not only that, these guys were absolutely flooded in the Holy Spirit. Like, I know I've painted a bleak picture of what they were like, but actually they were also totally and utterly happy. 
in the face of all of this carnage, they were just in love with Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit. And it was just so attractive. And they were so potent with it that Peter walks past people and they get healed because the Spirit is just pouring out of them. Do you see there's, a, there's an energy that these guys were living with, the context that they were in, and it's a little bit different to ours, 2,000 years on. I'm not saying there isn't persecution today. There is, and it, some of it is horrendous. But in our nation, we've got Theresa May wearing Christian clothes. <laughs> in our day, we've got the Queen of England as the number one evangelist in our nation. It's, it's a different time. Um, uh, we got um, pagan religion was the state religion. Imagine going into Chelmsford and in the cathedral, there's a thousand prostitutes there. And the belief is that if you hook up with one of these prostitutes, then actually you're more likely to be able to have your own family because there's fertility rights that you'd get. So you'd pay money, get it on with a prostitute, man or woman, didn't matter, and then that would give you the chance of um, an increased chance of having kids. A thousand prostitutes. This is crazy time. Um, And then we've got um, uh, the fact that actually since the fall, you know I've been talking about the whole sense of patriarchal society. This is a massively patriarchal society. Men dominated. And do you know what? The thought for where this stuff... How is it 10 past 12 already? I'm seriously just warming up. You know, Paul got to preach for three hours. I think we should rethink this um, timings on a Sunday. Um, do you know guys like Plato and Aristotle? Remember them? You heard of them? 400 years or so before Jesus came along, those guys were shaping thought. And their thought about women... Let me see if I can find this. <laughs> um, uh, Plato thought that women were underdeveloped men that there was physical weakness because of their monthly blood loss. Um, he, as an example, he says, um, so basically they never get strong enough because they keep losing blood. So they never quite get up to energy. They never quite get there. It's like they can't get to a second gear to become men. And um, so, uh, so he said, for example, he said, men typically go bald because their brains need loads of energy. So there's not enough energy to keep your hair in your head. (laughs) Women don't typically go bald. Ergo, they're not as clever. They're not quite as developed as men. Now we laugh. This thought has got in with the effects of the fall and created a picture all these years on that men are up here and women are down here. That's the context. Women were owned. Men decided whether their babies lived or died. Men decided whether they were physically looked after or not. Men decided. It was such a different time. Um, Although there is still that stuff going on today and it's fascinating how we've been doing this series and what has exploded on our headlines you know the last over the last few weeks you know can you see patriarchal stuff is still there the insidiousness of it is still woven into our society 
Um, how on earth am I going to learn? We're not going to do 1 Peter 3. Um, shall I do it next week? Um, are you guys coping with this? Um, I'm just mindful that I'm doing a lot of talking and you guys are doing a lot of listening. Um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Um, I'm trying to navigate us through. Phil was just praying for me before I, I'm in the worship time and he, he just was praying about us um, creating a new wineskin. And um, there is new wine that God is pouring out across the body of Christ in our day. And we as a church need to have a structure in place and need to have mindsets in place to be able to contain what God is doing in the earth. And so what we're trying to do with this stuff is, is to put a new wineskin together. To do that takes you guys coming with us on this journey. Um, the reason why I'm bringing these messages is, is principally just because it's really hard to bring a train of thought from multiple people. So please don't worry, I'm not going to be the only preacher forevermore. I'm going to probably do another two of these, um, and, and then we will get back to the normality of including breadth of people speaking and perspective. Um, I'm not the only voice on this stuff. I know um, numbers of you have got opinion on it. Um, I want you to be talking about it as well. I know that um, one of the home groups, Dave's Dave and Rachel group did a, a night looking at this stuff and I think the Lawrence's group, I think you've looked at some of this stuff and it's really great that we get to chew it over and go, what do you think? What do you think? Um, so that we come to really healthy and unified conclusion. It's not that we all have to believe exactly the same thing um, at all. In fact, it's brilliant when we have different perspectives. Um, I love Wayne Grudem. You know, I think he's got amazing, amazing insight on so many things. But it's okay that I have a slightly different perspective on some words in the Bible um, with, you know, and the outcome of it. Does that make sense? Um, so um, can I just pray for us? Um, and... Uh, um, and we'll unpress the pause button next time. Um, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are on the move in our nation. I want to thank you for um, the stories that we heard at the beginning of um, uh, uh, that Jules was sharing with us. Um, God, it's so encouraging. It's so exciting um, with what is going on. And Lord, I thank you that we are part of that. I thank you that you've caught us up to be um, your ambassadors, um, agents of change, um, in in the world that we live in today. And God, where the culture that we're in looks different to some extent to the culture that was around um, back then, Lord, there is um, still things now that you want to come against, that you want to lead through, um, that there is a fellowship in your spirit that we can come into the fullness and the richness of. So Lord, for us as a church, I pray that these things would sit well with us, I pray that what I've shared would sit well with us. I pray that where there's questions and where there's thoughts, I pray that we'd be really open and happy to discuss those and share those. Um, but Lord, we want to be receptive to the direction that you are leading us in. And um, Holy Spirit, we, we give you free reign to set the destination of our bus, um, of our church family. And uh, we want to be the most effective, as Maddie brought to us earlier on. We want to see ourselves as the most powerful people that you've called us to be because of you and because you are in us and through us, um, around us, that we are seated with you, that we live from that perspective. So thank you, Jesus, for all you're doing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way you lead us to truth. Um, we so love you. Um, amen.